Welcome to Harrison Church. Thanks for joining us this week. There are a lot of events and classes starting up that we would like you to be aware of, so stick around after the podcast to hear more. This week, Pastor Kyle delivers another message of Easter. We hope you enjoy. And so you thought you had seen it all. Well, we gave you a little bit of a break through Easter, but yes, we are continuing to uh, to launch Realm, and you all have done a great job of uh, getting out there. We're, uh, we're probably at about 70%, so we've got some scragglers. Uh, but I've also noticed some of you drifting back to uh, email and uh, texting, and I want to continue to encourage you to embrace the technology. It is how we stay connected. And I hope that you saw, especially during um, Holy Week, how, um, how nice it was to have Shane continuing to keep us mindful of the week with his posts to Realm and the wonderful images that he shared with us and keeping us uh, focused as we moved toward, um, toward uh, Friday, Saturday, and ultimately resurrection on Sunday. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that you are here with us this morning. I also, I'm not going to ask them to stand up, but would you show some love to our altar people? Because, my goodness, they have done a wonderful job. I don't know if you noticed or not, but all the way through uh, the season of Lent and Holy Week especially, if you joined us for uh, Maundy Thursday in this space, it was truly uh, incredible. So I want to see that you are with me still. He is risen. risen Cool, we're all still together, and, and it is still Easter. And we celebrate Easter uh, for uh, 50 days, and uh, in fact, you'll see when I read the text that it is still Easter Sunday. It is still the day of the resurrection on this, the second Sunday of Easter. So the text that you'll hear will still be on that morning that the the empty tomb was discovered. Uh, It comes to us from John's Gospel. I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able, and uh, I will be reading from chapter 20, beginning with... Uh, Verse 9, you'll see the text uh, on the screens behind me here. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood, stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, poor Thomas, Thomas was not there when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. 
Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Brothers and sisters, these are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. John uh, begins his account of the Easter story several verses ahead of the ones that we just read. On the first day of the week, in the early, early morning, the pre-dawn hours, with Mary discovering the displaced stone and the empty tomb. She ran to wherever Peter and John were, and then they ran back to the stone, I mean to the tomb, and seeing the, the linen cloths and the head wrapping, uh, they confirmed that there was indeed no body in the tomb. After they departed, Jesus appeared to Mary. And in the hearing of her name, spoken by what she thought was the gardener, Mary suddenly recognized it is Jesus, and He is alive. Later that same day, the disciples have gathered back in that place in the upper room where they celebrated the Last Supper, and and Jesus washed their feet. The door is locked, and they are afraid. They must have been completely confused by all of the events, by everything that had happened since they were last together in that space. Following their time together on Thursday where they shared the supper and Jesus washed their feet, they watched as Jesus was arrested, tried, beaten, and ultimately crucified and laid to rest. And now, less than 72 hours later, they have heard from Mary that He is not dead, but He is alive. And she has seen Him. Strange times indeed. The the terrified disciples are hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, John tells us. The temple leaders had made it clear that anyone associated with Jesus would share in the same faith as Jesus. And given the disciples' denial and their desertion of Jesus in His hour of need, it may have been difficult for them to know who they were more afraid of. The Jews, the Romans who had the authority to execute, or Jesus whom they had abandoned. I mean, if it were true, if he was indeed alive, what could they possibly say to him upon seeing him? What might he say to them, knowing that they all left him? The dead do not rise, and they were confused. When suddenly... Jesus miraculously appears out of nowhere. He greets them with an offering of peace. And He shows them His hand, His hands and and His side. The disciples were overjoyed by Jesus' presence. And then He he gives them His instructions. He gives them their instructions. He, He breathes on them and He sends them into the world with a mission 
empowering them with the Spirit to continue the work that he began. And, and then there's Thomas. We're all familiar with the plight of Thomas, who was not there at first, and having been labeled forever a doubter. Although, Thomas's reaction was really not all that different from the rest of the disciples. If you read uh, the other Gospels, his disbelief was no different than the others. He simply needed more proof. And so Jesus shows up a week later and does Thomas a personal favor, providing exactly what he needs to believe. Now, as is customary on this, the Sunday after Easter, uh, and you well know, it is Associate Pastor Sunday, and so here I am. (laughs) But what you may not know is that uh, the text for the second Sunday of Easter never changes. And so here I am once again, three years in a row, dealing with Thomas and uh, this text uh, following Jesus' resurrection. And so I, I have to admit, I was a little bummed out. I, I love to preach, and I love the opportunities to preach, and yet to preach the same story year after year, um, I was being a little pouty, actually. Uh, but, but I will tell you, uh, I've decided to, I decided along, you know, along the way, I was praying and studying and reading and listening and being open to the Spirit. And so Jesus kind of freed me from having to deal with Thomas and his disbelief. And, and I found some new insight uh, into this text that I'm, I'm anxious to, to share with you. Um, I want to share three, um, three things in particular um, that have been sort of a revelation for me this this time through this familiar familiar passage and and then of course along the way I also realized well we always preach the Baptist uh, the uh, uh, Jesus's birth at Christmas and we preach Monday Thursday the foot washing and then, of course on Easter we preach resurrection so I'm over myself now. <laughs> There's three things. First, Jesus's appearance, the fact that he showed up. And, and secondly, what he said while he was among them. And finally, uh, what he did. I, I think there's something for each of us in uh, these aspects that will encourage us in our understanding of, of Jesus and his resurrection and our relationship with him. So Jesus appears to the disciples suddenly. And unexpectedly, as he often does, Jesus just shows up whenever he desires, whether we are ready or not, whether we are looking for him or or not, whether we are hoping to see him or not. Think about all the healing stories in the New Testament. The the man uh, who laid by the pool, uh, who was lame for 38 years, uh, the woman who um, was suffered hemorrhages for, for 12 years, or the man that was born blind, the day on which Jesus appeared before them and they experienced their healing and new life started out as just a, a normal and ordinary day. They were not expecting anything miraculous to happen. 
And Jesus, in this appearance behind these locked doors, shows us that, that Jesus can go anywhere He wants. He has access to those locked places of our lives, to those places that we keep hidden from others. He knows where they are and He knows how to access them. And He can find us wherever we are. Jesus did not go searching for the disciples. He knew where they were. And there is no place that He is not willing to go to find His lost sheep and return them to the fold. This is what Jesus does. This is what He does best. And then in this appearance to the disciples, we see that Jesus appeared mysteriously. He didn't knock, wait for them to open the door. Hey, it's Jesus. Welcome, Jesus. Come on in. He just mysteriously showed up. He appeared behind the doors. One minute he was there. He was not there, and the next minute he was. John goes on to write that Jesus appeared many times over those 40 days between His resurrection and His ascension. And and other accounts of His appearance include uh, a time on the beach where he, He cooked some fish and invited the guys off the boat and they had breakfast together. In in Luke's version of this same story in the upper room, he asked for some food and they offered some a piece of broiled fish and he ate. Jesus has a habit of random comings and goings. Ask Paul. In the midst of Paul's journey just down the road, heading toward Damascus, he encountered Jesus out of nowhere, mysteriously, suddenly, and it was, of course, life-changing. That's what Jesus does. That's what we see is going on here. And Jesus, in this case, appeared in the flesh. He was not a ghost. He was a body, raised from the dead, bodily as Pastor Shane says. And he appeared to the disciples in that same body, offering proof, look, my hands, my side, it's me. I'm not a ghost. He wasn't haunting them or or messing with them. He wanted them to see him. And he wanted them to know that he was, in fact, alive. And he wants us to know that He is alive also. He came to His own in the midst of their fears and spoke peace to them. And I also want us to notice what Jesus does in this space, this upper room on this, the same day that He was resurrected. He stood with them. He stood among them, John says. He was fully present with them in their time of fear and doubt and uncertainty. And Jesus stands with us too whenever we find ourselves in those places where we are confused and overwhelmed. Jesus stands with us. He showed them His wounds. He revealed His identity to them in a way that they could understand. 
He wanted them to know it was him, and he wants to reveal himself to us also. He doesn't make it complicated. He breathed on them. And the detail here has a bit of a Pentecost feel to it because John doesn't actually cover the Pentecost, what we call the, the celebration or the, of the birth of the church. So this is kind of his version of saying the same thing, that Jesus poured out His Spirit. He breathed on them. You'll remember earlier in John, He promised them the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, right? And so in this, this moment for John, he, Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on to them. It is uh, it, the Greek word that he uses here is similar to the Hebrew word over in the Old Testament where it tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness when there was no form, indicating God's Spirit was present even before creation, and now God's Spirit rests on the disciples. Jesus breathed new life into his ragtag group of followers, equipping them for their service, for their mission, for the work that he was sending them out to do. And then he says three things. He says, peace be with you. And he says it three times. It calms their fears and, and, and it prepares them for what's next because, frankly, they're, they're, they're frozen. They're paralyzed. Their expectations have been shattered. They have no idea where this is going or what to do next. And Jesus speaks into that moment, peace. And it calms them and it opens the door to movement. And then He says to them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so Jesus is making that connection between God and Him and His disciples and the world in this moment. And then He equips them to do the work by saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. And I love the fact that we did a baptism, that we did baptism today. In fact, we did baptism at 8.30 as well. And I think that's just God's, it's just God's way of affirming where we're going here in this moment where we recognize the connection between Jesus' resurrection, His sending of the Spirit, our baptism, and our equipping to go into the world to do the work that God has called us to the salvation work of God moves through us in our baptism. Peace. Peace with God is the underlying message of the gospel. And it really is the most important point to the gospel. John Wesley wrote in one of his sermons, a sermon he preached on the peace of Christ, saying this, True religion implies happiness or joy as well as holiness. For what is not only, for it is not only righteousness, but also peace and joy. 
in the Holy Spirit. What peace, you ask? The peace of God which God only can give and the world cannot take away. The peace of Christ. It is customary in a traditional setting like over in the sanctuary that we offer uh, one another the peace of Christ saying, the peace of Christ be with you. To which someone would respond and also with you. There are some Methodists in the room. The peace of Christ be with you. That is the traditional greeting in the church. It transcends denominations and lines. It is the resurrection gift, the peace of Christ extended to one another. It appears in liturgy of Um, of the great thanksgiving after the prayer of confession. We don't do a prayer of confession in here, but it it makes sense that that we pray a prayer of confession, confession acknowledging our failures, receiving forgiveness and affirmation or assurance of Jesus' offer of forgiveness, and then we extend the peace of Christ to one another. Wesley goes on to write in that same service that forgiveness of sin and the release of sin releases the burden of guilt and condemnation, bringing joy to our soul. To reduce the good news of the gospel to some sort of of transactional faith where we give our sin to God and we receive our ticket to heaven, to eternal life. We've somehow missed the point of Jesus' death and resurrection. Yes, Scripture assures us of a place where, where tears and pain and suffering are no more this place that we refer to as as heaven. And of course it will be peaceful, but Jesus, Jesus came here. Jesus appeared before His disciples here. And He offered them peace in the midst of their fear and confusion while they were still here. The gift of salvation Jesus offers includes His peace now, for this lifetime, as well as the life to come. The peace that passes all understanding, peace that is present in the midst of our tears, and our pain, and our suffering, and our confusion, and the difficult circumstances of our life. The world does not have that to offer. And yet, peace is not the absence of conflict. This week marked the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King. His fight to end racial discrimination was rife with conflict at every turn. But when we study his life, we see a movement that was rooted in peace. Martin Luther King loved Jesus, and he loved people. 
and he saw an, an injustice through the lens of Scripture that was worth fighting against. And so he lived in this tension between the two, the peace of Christ, the peace that Scripture offers, and the tension of the suffering of people, the enslavement and the oppression and the discrimination. And yet he espoused peace in the midst of that fight. The irony of his death by assassination while he preached for change peacefully is not lost on the Christian. It is the story of Jesus who came to bring peace to the world and yet was brutally murdered at the hands of those who couldn't see it and couldn't grasp it and couldn't claim it for themselves. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is the one who made a way for us to experience true joy that comes from knowing our sins are forgiven. To be at peace with God means we no longer need to live in fear. Fear of the wrath of God or fear of eternal separation from God. Fear of death, fear of others, or fear of the future. There is no room for fear in the place of peace that Christ offers. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. In this world, he goes on to say, you will have trouble. Oh, there will be no doubt. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. And because Jesus has overcome the world and holds the key to our future, we can rest assured and live in peace. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves. And peace with others. The Apostle Paul instructs believers to live at peace with each other and others in about half of his letters. He, he wrote around, I think, 13 or 14 letters. In at least eight of them, he gave special instruction of how to live and how to live peacefully both within the church and outside of the church. This is, here's what he wrote to the Roman Christians. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace of the resurrection. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, on you, not others, as far as it is possible in you, live at peace with everyone. Since we have been forgiven through the work of Jesus on the cross, we have found peace with God. And if we are at peace with God, we must be able to live at peace with people around us. You have uh, no doubt heard Pastor Shane sort of call out, Angry Christians 
in recent weeks. This, this is an oxymoron that makes absolutely no sense. There's no theological basis for it. To be angry and to be a follower of Christ, to be a lover of Jesus, to be at work in the mission of the church in the world, and yet be angry with everybody around you, makes no sense. And likewise, a life lived in constant strife and conflict and, and disorder does not reflect the peace of Christ to the world. And the world is watching. Paul names peace as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And this list in Galatians 5 where Paul is just saying, and here's what life in the Spirit looks like. It's, uh, it's, it's, li- it's not like the, um, the Beatitudes. It's not a, a shopping list or a laundry l- list of characteristics to adopt and say, this morning I'm going to wake up and, and be peaceful or patient or kind or, uh, and so forth. It just is. It just is. A life lived in the Spirit is a life lived in peace. Spirit of Jesus breathed on the disciples in that upper room is the same Spirit poured out on us at baptism as we saw this morning right here. This beautiful family has now been adopted into Christ's family and received the power of the Holy Spirit that will be at work in them later on, transforming them, sanctifying them, and changing them into a life lived by the Spirit. It is how we are able to live at peace with the world, proclaiming the resurrection of Christ in the spirit of peace. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, the idea of peace coming through such a brutal murder, such a horrific death, and even in that moment of of bewilderment, between discovering the empty tomb and, and, and seeing Christ's resurrected body later, God, it is more than we can reasonably or rationally, rationally understand. But by your Spirit, we know this to be true. I pray, Lord, in this moment for my brothers and sisters here, my family, my Christian family here in this congregation and those that are not with us, that you would pour out a fresh anointing of your Spirit that we might learn to live at peace with you, with one another, and with the world that they may see us and give thanks to God in heaven above. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Starting this week is our new discussion group, Conversations with Shane. 
focusing around the United Methodist Church's views around homosexuality and the church. Join Pastor Shane for this important conversation on Wednesday nights. Also coming up is Foundations Class. If you aren't yet a member of Harrison but would like to become one, email anita at harrisonchurch.org for more information. Summertime is quickly approaching, which means that VBS and Fine Arts Camp are on the horizon. If you're interested in volunteering or would like to sign your child up, you can email kelly at harrisonchurch.org. As always, you can visit us online or on Facebook for all of the up-to-date information, harrisonchurch.org.